Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Well, good morning, South Valley. It's great to see you guys today. Can we give it up to the worship team for leading us this morning? They always do such an incredible job. It's so good to see you guys. So, so I actually moved into my house on Friday. I slept in my own bed last night, which was awesome. Uh, I'm officially a resident of Central Valley. Happy to be with you guys. One cool thing too. So every Sunday when I've been out here, I have to drive all the way back down to Palmdale. Today I just drive a few miles back home. It feels great. So good to be with you guys today. And, and just thank you again for your kindness, your hospitality. My family has just been, just been so grateful, just for your, your warm embrace. So thank you guys so much. We're in a sermon series right now titled, What Would Jesus Pray? And for the past couple weeks, we unpacked the Lord's Prayer. We went through the Lord's Prayer in two sermons. We broke it down in six petitions. And last week, we were encouraged to pray rebellious prayers. The last three petitions encouraged us, reminded us that prayer is in fact rebellion. And not the kind of rebellion we're used to. It's rebellion against the status quo. Everybody is going in the same direction. Culture is swept up all kinds of people into its strong current, into its strong stream. And the people of God, they're saying we're not content with the status quo. And the, and the first way to rebel against some of the problems and trials and, and errors of the world is to pray. And so David Wells, he says this, you might remember last week, he says, what then is the nature of petitionary prayer? It is, in essence, rebellion. Rebellion against the world and all its fallenness. The absolute and undying refusal to accept as normal what is pervasively abnormal. And so when we pray, we're essentially saying, God, I rebel. I refuse to be content with the status quo. I refuse to be conformed to the pattern of this world. Not that I despise people around me. I love the world. I love people. I love you. But I refuse to, to fall into the same traps. I choose to, to fight back against the evil one. I don't want to be conformed. I want to be transformed. I choose to love, not to hate. I choose to rebel. And as I've talked to some of you guys after service... I've learned that a number of you are taking this very seriously and God is using uh, that passage from, from the Lord's Prayer to encourage and strengthen your own prayer lives. And I want to encourage you to keep going at it. And I, I hope that you see the fruit of regular time with God in prayer. So we learned from the Lord's Prayer how to pray. Jesus said, pray then like this. Now we're going to switch gears a little bit. Because what I didn't do is I didn't cover the intro to the Lord's Prayer. Because before Jesus taught us how to pray, he actually spent some time teaching his disciples how not to pray. And so if you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 6. And what I'm going to have you do is I'm going to actually have you go back a few verses. And we're going to explore today what Jesus says about prayer. And the topic today is really how not to pray. He's going to encourage us to pray pure prayers instead of phony prayers. Pure prayers instead of phony prayers. And, and here's the big idea for today. When we engage in religious activities like prayer and worship 
and giving and discipleship, whatever religious activities, those are all good things. But when we engage in those activities, what's happening on the outside needs to mirror what's actually happening on the inside. Jesus is going to challenge us in the area of our motives. What is our motivation for prayer? What is our motivation for worship? What is our motivation for giving? Who is our motivation? Is it God or is it us? And so Jesus is going to encourage us today to make sure that the outside matches the inside. So turn to Matthew 6. I'm going to pray and we'll go ahead and jump in. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you so much for the people in this room. I thank you so much for this community, for this church, for the the history this church has had in Lemoore, impacting the Central Valley. I pray, God, that you would use us in big and mighty ways. I pray, God, that we would begin as a church in, in this new season. We would begin this season with fervent prayer, that we would bring our petitions to you, that we would hollow your name, make your name great, and, and, and love your will, align ourselves with your will, pray that your kingdom would come, see your kingdom come, ask for forgiveness, forgive others, be kind, be gracious, be aware of the evil one, all these things, pray for daily bread, all these things you encourage us to do, and we, and we trust God that you hear us because we're your children and you're a good father. Remind us today of your love and your care for us. And remind us today that when we bring our petitions to you, you hear, you respond, and you act. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I had the privilege of growing up in the greatest decade of all time, the 1990s. In the 1990s, there were two things that every 90s kid loved. The first was Blockbuster. You guys remember this? How many of you are just feeling warm right now, just seeing that up on the screen? That was like the best thing. Why, why do we not have Blockbuster anymore? That was the best. Go and rent a few movies, pay way too much money for them, get some red vines, bring them home, have some friends over. Those were the days, okay, Blockbuster. The other thing that 90s kids loved was cereal. Okay, I remember going to the grocery store with my mom, going down the cereal aisles, seeing all the cereal on the shelves. And what was so cool in the 90s is parents at that time, they weren't counting calories. Okay, so they, whatever they were marketed for kids, they just bought it. Even if it was fake or sugary or whatever, they're like, oh, it has a cartoon on it. It must be for kids. Throw it in the basket, take it home. And as kids, we're like, this is awesome. Thank you, marketing geniuses. Because in those boxes, not only was it full of sugar, so you got to start your day with dessert, but also at the bottom of every bag was a toy. Okay, so that was awesome. And I'd spend my mornings doing the whatever puzzles were on the back of the cereal box. The 90s were awesome. Anybody else love the 90s? Come on, anybody? Those were, that was an awesome time. No social media. Imagine that. No social media. It was, just, it was just a different time. Hop on your bike, hang out with your friends, go to Blockbuster, eat your cereal. Okay, that was the 90s. Now, the best cereal, though. The best cereal for me when I was growing up, my favorite sugary cereal was Cinnamon Toast Crunch. There it is. Yes, okay. I like that. Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Now, uh, here's the thing, though. That was my favorite cereal. Now I struggle with eating Cinnamon Toast Crunch, not because it's bad for you. I don't care about that. 
But something bad happened to me one day. So one day I, I got home from a vacation with my family. We went to Hawaii. We got home. I don't know how long we were gone for. Went to the house. There was no food. I reached up to the top of the cupboard, and there it was, Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Like, yes, this is awesome. So I get the Cinnamon Toast Crunch, pour myself a, a, a bowl of, I don't know how old that milk was, but I used it. Poured myself a bowl of, of Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Started eating. I was so happy. Home from Hawaii, eating one of my favorite things. I'm eating it, and then, and then I look down, and, it, and the milk was moving. And at first I thought, it tri- like, my, my eyes were just playing a trick on me. So I went to take another bite, and the spoon was moving. <laughs> and, and I looked closer, and, and around the bowl, crawling onto the bowl, were worms, okay? <laughs> worms in my cereal. So I, I panic. I run. I throw the, the, the bowl in the, in, the, in the sink. And then I run over to check the milk. Like, surely it's the milk. But the milk was fine. I don't, maybe it was sour, but I don't know. The milk was fine. I go in the cabinet, though, to pull out the cereal bag. As soon as I pulled the cereal bag out, I saw coming out of the cereal bag were worms crawling out of the cereal bag. Now, if I were Bear Grylls, a real man, I would have just eaten it, right? Like, if I was a real man, that's free protein. Just eat that stuff and move on. But... I'm not that tough. So here's the thing that haunted me. How is it that something that looks so appealing on the outside could be so disgusting on the inside? That's what shocked me as a kid. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. It looked so, I saw that, that box. I saw the cinnamon. It looked so appealing on the outside. But on the inside, it was disgusting. So disgusting that I still struggle to eat Cinnamon Toast Crunch today. That's how disgusting it was. Well, I share that with you because what's interesting is that in today's passage, Jesus is warning us of something like that. He's warning us that good things, holy things, righteous things, like prayer, worship, giving, Loving others, serving others, if they're not done for the right reasons, although they look beautiful on the outside, they're actually disgusting to God because what he sees is the inside. There are some prayers that we lift up to God. And if you read the book of Revelation, you you would remember the the, the throne room of God in Revelation. And what we see in the, in the throne room of God is all these angels worshiping and these elders worshiping and, and nations gathered. And, and, and do you guys remember what that, that smell is that's rising up in the air, that, that incense? Do you remember what it represents? The prayers of the saints. In God's throne room right now, it, it, it's, it smells this amazing aroma that represents the, the prayers of the saints. God's delighted in hearing our prayers. It, it, it ignites heaven with this, this smell, this pleasing aroma. But he also warns that some prayers stink. They actually stink. Because if they're not done for the right reasons, then they're not really prayers. And so let's read our passage, Matthew 6, starting in verse 1, and then we'll skip down to verse 5. Jesus says, beware. He doesn't say this very often. This is pretty strong. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. 
For then you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. Skip down to verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they love to think that they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you even ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We've already unpacked how to pray. And I hope that you're using the Lord's Prayer now in your own prayer life during the week in your own quiet time. I hope you're using it now as a model. And if you haven't used it as a model, you could start this week. Start this week using the Lord's Prayer as a model for prayer. And watch what God will do in your prayer life. Take time to pause and pray every day and and, and communicate with your Father in heaven. Spend time one-on-one with your Father in heaven and watch what he'll do in your life. That's where victory happens. Victory in the church, victory in our community, victory in our country, victory in our kids, victory all around. It happens first with prayer. We know because we studied together, we know now how to pray. Jesus taught us how to pray with the Lord's Prayer. Now we're going to switch gears and talk about how not to pray. And this passage reminds us that there's a huge difference between saying much in prayer and actually praying much in prayer. There's a difference. According to Jesus, some prayers are a pleasing aroma to the Lord, while others are not. So what's the difference between pure prayers and phony prayers. Well, number one, pure pra- or phony prayers draw attention to self. Listen again to what he says in verse 5. He says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. So the first thing we need to ask ourselves when engaging in religious activity Activities like prayers, like praying or giving or whatever, the first thing we ask ourselves is, what is my motivation here? Who is my motivation here? Is my focus me or is my focus God? Am I self-absorbed or am I here to glorify and honor God? Do I want to see his kingdom built or am I only concerned about building my own little kingdom? Hypocrisy in prayer is the first sign of phony praying. And being called a hypocrite in today's culture, I just want to say this, being called a hypocrite in today's culture is literally the worst thing you could be called, especially by the youngest generations we have, Gen Z. Okay, for Gen Z, Gen Zers, I, I love uh, the next gen. I love investing in youth and teenagers, young adults. I love that. That's why we hired uh, a next gen team. They're actually with us now. So really excited to have them here. And we're going to be working hard 
to reach the next generation. We're, we're already starting to brainstorm. We'll, we'll fill you guys in when we have some more plans. But I'm super excited about that. But, but one thing I want you to know about Gen Z is that, that they are passionate about authenticity. Okay, if something appears fake or forced, they want nothing to do with it. They're often called the true Gen. And researchers, they point out that Gen Z, when Gen Z shows up for church, they don't want fake hype. They don't want to show. They want realness, authenticity. And so if any of us on this stage or any of us in those chairs or any of, any of us in the lobby are putting on a show or hiding behind a mask, they see it, they feel it, and they want nothing to do with it. Being called a hypocrite today is one of the worst things you could be called. Well, back in Jesus' day, the word hypocrite actually didn't carry as much of a negative connotation because hypocrite, the Greek term for hypocrite, actually just means actor or play actor. The term actually means somebody who, who does a play behind a mask. And so the word wasn't used quite as often as we use it today. It wasn't as negative as it is today. But when Jesus used it, he turned it into a very negative word because it's the worst thing you can call a religious leader. The ultimate diss for a religious leader would be to call them a hypocrite. And Jesus is pointing out the hypocrites, the people who are hiding behind a mask, who are putting on a show. And the, and the group he has in mind is a group called the Pharisees. And this group called the Pharisees, they, they, they would often wear fancy clothes. They would give long elaborate prayers in public places to be seen by others. They would sit in distinguished seats. They'd have distinguished positions. And all of it, none of it was for God. All of it was for them. It was all for looks. And so this should cause all of us to pause and to check our own motives God, am I doing these things today to be seen by you or to be noticed by others? God, am I doing what I feel will make others happy? Or am I doing what's going to make you happy? Am I a people pleaser or am I a God pleaser? God, am I putting this on Facebook so that I look good or so that you look good? God, is my life authentic or am I hiding behind a mask? The Pharisees, it's, it's easy for us to kind of bag on the Pharisees because we're a couple thousand years removed. But I want to give you a little quick history on the Pharisees because the Pharisees, they weren't always hypocrites. Now, if, if you were to study the Pharisees, you would learn that the Pharisees, was, they, they were a group that appeared in what we call the intertestamental period. Okay, so the period between Malachi and Matthew, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament ends with Malachi. New Testament begins with Matthew. And that period in between is called the intertestamental period. It's a period of about 400 years. And in that period, after the exile, after God's people were exiled, they came back into the land and these groups started popping up who wanted to honor God and worship God correctly because they knew they were exiled because of their disobedience. And so they loved the law, they loved the Lord, they loved people, they wanted to honor God, live holy lives, all of those good things. And a few groups popped up, the Essenes, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Pharisees were the most predominant ones. Over time though, they went sideways. Because over time, their religious activity was no longer about God, it was about them. Over time, instead of just relying on God's word and trusting 
his will. They started to add rule upon rule upon rule to the Bible and saying, hey, don't just honor the Sabbath. You actually need to, you can't, you can't get an animal out of a pit on the Sabbath because that's working. Or you can't spit on the ground on the Sabbath because that's making mud. And they would shame you if, they, if you didn't follow their man-made rules. And here's the thing. Here's the, that was just a quick history, but this is all I want to say is this. Their man-made rules impressed men because men were so impressed by their discipline. But guess what? Their man-made rules never impressed God. You see, the reward of their religion, the reward of all their religious activities, the reward of their quote-unquote holy-looking lifestyle, their only reward was this. That's it. Their reward for all they did and all they sacrificed was just a clap. A clap from those watching. An applause from those around them. Jesus, though, calls us to a higher and better reward. Jesus compares false praying, phony praying with real praying. And Jesus doesn't take away the idea of reward. He just says this. Phony prayers are rewarded with an earthly clap. Pure prayers are rewarded with an answer from God. What do you prefer? When you think about all the things you're praying for, all the things you're struggling with, all the things you're wrestling through in your family, when you bring it before God, do you just want to clap from people? Or do you want God to really break down into your world and, and make a move in your life? Jesus says that pure prayers are rewarded with a heavenly reward. Phony prayers are rewarded with a, oh, that guy's so awesome. And that's it. Let me give you an example of this. Luke 18. In Luke 18, Jesus gives a parable of two different ways of praying. Here's what it says at Luke 18, 9. He says, two men, they went into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. God, thank you for just how awesome I am. The tax collector, though, standing far off, tax collectors, by the way, were the, literally the worst of the worst in society, Okay, even today we don't love tax collectors, but back then these people were crooked, okay? They would steal your money. They, they, would, they, would, they wouldn't just collect for the state, they'd collect for themselves as well. So they had a terrible reputation. This tax collector was a little different though. Observing his lifestyle, recognizing his sin, his brokenness, all he says to God is this. He says he's beating his breast, his eyes to heaven, and he says, God, be merciful to me a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Two different ways of praying. Two different answers to the prayer. The Pharisee, five times. You know what word he uses five times in his prayer? I. I, 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 I. Who was the pray Pharisee? What, that, that prayer, who was it all about? Himself. 
he looked awesome, he may have sounded awesome, and others may have seen him and thought, wow, he is a spiritual guy. And so all he got in response for that prayer, a clap. The sinner, though, comes before God, childlike, broken, humble, repentant. He says half, a fraction of what the Pharisee says, and he goes home justified. The Pharisee looks beautiful on the outside, but he's rotten on the inside. The sinner looks rotten on the outside, but he's forgiven on the inside. Phony prayers are focused on getting attention. Pure prayers are focused on giving attention. Which leads to point number two. Pure prayers draw attention to God. He says, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, And pray to your father who's in secret. And your father who sees you in secret will reward you. So it's often said that integrity is who you are when no one is looking. And Jesus is saying here that who you are in private is who you really are. What you are in private is what you really are. And the greatest reward of the greatest reward in prayer. And I just want to point this out and make this super clear. The greatest reward in prayer is not getting your prayers answered. That's one reward. The greatest reward in prayer is God. Because when we're talking to God in prayer, we're building a relationship with our Heavenly Father. When we're spending time in the Word, meditating on Scripture, letting Him speak to us, and then when we open our mouths in prayer, we're speaking back to Him. And so the greatest reward in prayer is not even just answered prayers. It's God Himself. Being in the presence of God, approaching God. If you know Jesus, if you've been covered by the blood of Jesus, you have access to your Father in heaven. You have access to that, to that throne room, that, that, the throne of mercy and grace. And so when you pray, it's not a show, it's not for attention, it's because you love God, you need God, you want God. He is the reward. And here's the thing too, yeah. Here's the thing, though. He doesn't want to just spend time with you. He also wants to bless you. He says over and over again, he talks about reward, rewarding you. So yeah, reward is awesome, but that is not our motivation. God delights most of all in hearing from us. In prayer, the greatest benefit, greatest joy and blessing of prayer is being one-on-one with our Father in heaven. And it reminds me of my daughter, my daughter, one of her favorite things to do is what she calls daddy-daughter dates. She loves daddy-daughter dates. So we knew in Palmdale where to go on daddy-daughter dates. Now we got to figure it out out here where we're going to do daddy-daughter dates. I loved going on daddy-daughter dates with my daughter because we'd go out, we'd eat some food, we'd do some things that she wanted to do. And, and what I loved about it is just hearing from her, letting her talk, letting her tell me about life. She's only six, but man, she has a lot to say, okay? Six-year-olds have a lot going on. And, and, and you know what? Dads love to know what's going on. They love to hear. And, and she loves to tell me. I want to remind you guys today that you have a father who delights in hearing from you. And you don't need to put on a show to get his attention. Blake doesn't need to sing and dance and wear a certain outfit and do all these crazy rituals in order for me to actually hear her. You know what she has to say? Daddy. That's it. And so I hope that encourages you in your prayer life. 
I hope it encourages you to know that God wants to hear from you, likes to hear from you, is encouraging you to come to him in prayer, and he promises that, that he'll actually reward you in the, in the process. Matthew 6, 3 through 4, this is what he says. He says, when you give to the needy, here's another uh, promise of reward. When you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So three times in this passage, this short little passage, Jesus promises reward. Not only do we get God, but we also get reward. Public reward. What happens in private will be rewarded in public. If we're willing to go to God in secret, he rewards us in public. And I remember learning this lesson as a kid. So if you guys don't know this, I grew up in two homes. My, my parents split when I was young. And so like many others who grew up in a blended family, divorced home, I'd spend my time with half and half with each family. And, and it wasn't bad. Like, I have great, fam- great parents. You guys have met some of them. They, they often come up here. They're, they're amazing. I have an amazing family. And there were, there were definitely struggles with living in a blended family, bouncing around from house to house. But there were also some benefits. And one of those benefits was that every holiday, we got to, to celebrate two holidays. Okay? So like Christmas, we got two Christmases. And I remember one year as a kid, I asked for a skateboard. I asked for a skateboard from mom, and I asked for a skateboard from dad. And that Christmas morning, I got two skateboards. Got a skateboard at my mom's house, got a skateboard at my dad's house. And, and my mom, when she saw that, she's like, hey, who needs two skateboards? Can you skateboard on both at the same time? I'm like, I, I, maybe. I might figure it out. I don't know. She's all, Ricky, you don't need two skateboards. You should give one away to, to a friend. You, don't, you, know, you, know, you have friends who need these things, who need a skateboard. Pick out a friend and give it to a friend. And so at first I was a little upset, like, who wants to give away their, if one skateboard's awesome, then two is even better. Like, why would I do that? But then I realized, you know, my mom's right. I should give my skateboard away. So I got ready to give my skateboard away. And then she said, no, you don't just, you don't knock on the door and hand them the skateboard. You need to do it in in secret. They don't need to know it's you giving the skateboard away. You just need to give it away and not get the credit. I'm like, wait, what? First you want me to give it away, and then now you don't want me to get the applause for giving it away? Like, what? I'm nine years old, okay? It's okay to be selfish at that time. So I was selfish, wrestling through. My mom, okay, she, my mom is law enforcement, okay? So she's used to doing lots of things for people and getting zero credit, okay? My mom's law enforcement. She gets that. Me, I was just learning how to do things for people and not get credit. Finally, though, I realized she was right. I gave the skateboard away in secret. No credit. But here's the thing. Here's the reward I got, and I didn't see it coming. The person that got that skateboard ended up being the one who taught me how to skate. Okay? If I didn't give that board away, it didn't matter if I had 12 boards, they weren't going down the road. Okay? I wouldn't have been able to do it. The board I gave away went to the guy who taught me how to skate. And and here's, I'm saying this for this. God sees your pure prayers in secret. And he promises to reward you publicly. Phony prayers are done for the applause. Pure prayers are done out of passion for the creator. Number three, phony prayers are robotic. Jesus says this, When you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Now, in the Bible, there are two kinds of people, two classes of people. There are Jews and there are Gentiles. 
And so if you don't belong to Jewish heritage or come from Jewish descent or part of the, the Jewish religion, then you're the other category. Okay, So if you're not Jewish, you are a Gentile. So that probably makes up the majority of us in this room. Now the Gentiles, the surrounding nations, they had all kinds of different ways of worshiping God. Not the God of heaven, but all their false gods. And, and, and one thing that they would do, false religions, false, uh, the nations surrounding them, the Gentiles, one thing they would do in their prayer lives was through their pagan rituals, is they would chant prayers over and over and over again in order to be heard. And so for hours, they'd go in trances, they'd chant prayers. You might think of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. They're cutting themselves. They're making sacrifices, doing whatever they can, saying things over and over and over again just to be heard by their deity. And this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, God is not manipulated by human rituals when you pray don't heap up empty phrases as the gentiles do they think they'll be heard for their many words the other way not to pray according to jesus is 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 don't pray phony robotic prayers prayers that you just chant prayers that you just say that you don't actually mean when he says that they, they, they speak empty phrases, the Greek there actually means that they ramble on. They just ramble with their words. They don't mean what they're saying. They're trying to manipulate God to hear them and respond to them. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter how many times a day you say it or what direction you say it in or how fast or how slow or in what language. If your prayer does not come from a place of childlike faith and humility, then God doesn't hear it. That's convicting, isn't it? We already learned how to pray. Jesus wants to warn us today how not to pray. A few years ago, I was on a flight home from Hong Kong. Sitting next to me was a woman, an amazing woman. I was reading that day, I happened to be reading a book on prayer called A Praying Life. It's here on the screen. Uh, Marcus will share this book this week on social media. If you guys want a book to help you in your prayer lives, this is a great one. Really easy to read, really great, practical. I was reading this book on the flight. And next to me was a woman who every, I don't know, hour or so, she's watching her clock. Every, every time her clock would beep, She'd pull out a pamphlet and she would chant a prayer. And so we're on this flight for, I don't know, 12 hours, maybe longer. And so eventually, after she pulls this pamphlet out many times now, I finally I got the courage to ask, hey, so what are you doing right now? And she said, well, I'm actually, I'm praying to Mary. I've been instructed to every time the, at this hour, I need to pray this prayer. And then every time at that hour, I need to pray that prayer. And then every time at this other hour, I need to pray that prayer. This woman was very religious, very disciplined, very sweet, very nice. Her kids were behind us the whole time. I tried to sleep on the plane, but they were having way too much fun. So we read and prayed. That's what we did on the flight. But eventually, as she was opening up to me about her prayer life, I realized that even though she really wanted to know God, deep down, she was not satisfied. She felt far from God. She felt like her prayers weren't heard. She, she, I think she was starting to realize she was just chanting things over and over again, and she didn't know if anything was even happening. And so I felt like I needed to take the moment to teach her a little bit about prayer. And so I opened my Bible, and I sat next to her, and I pointed out that there's one mediator between God and man. His, his name is Christ Jesus. 
We actually are instructed in the Word, which she didn't know the Word very well. She knew all these prayer guides really well, but she didn't know the Word really well. We're actually instructed in the Word that, that we actually have a high priest named Jesus, and, and we could bring our prayers to the Father through him. We don't need another mediator. We don't need Mary to help us pray. We don't need some saint to help us pray. For some of us, that's hard to hear because maybe we have a Catholic background. We get to approach God the Father because of the work of his son on the cross for us. And so I wanted to show her and teach her, like, hey, you can be heard by God. You don't need to chant it over and over 15 times a day in order for him to finally listen. My daughter doesn't have to say, daddy, 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 1,200 times before I finally say yes. She only has to say it once. And so this woman, her eyes were opening up, her ears were opening up, and she's like, she wanted to know more. I just finished that book on a praying life, and I handed her the book. She was so excited to finally get this, finally learn a new approach to prayer. She gave me some, some gifts from China in exchange. But here's the question. Have your prayers become robotic? We say things all the time in prayer that maybe we, we, we just kind of lob up there, throw out there that we maybe don't even really mean. And our prayers become robotic. We hear other people say what sound like very spiritual phrases. And so we adopt those spiritual phrases into our prayer lives, even though we don't really mean or feel what we're actually saying. One thing that we often say is, God, may, may your fire come down. Like, wait, do we really want that to happen? <laughs> or or here's, a, here's a fun one. God, please bless this food to the nourishment of my body. That's not a bad prayer. But I'm just going to warn you right now, if you pray that while you're eating superior dairy, <laughs> that ice cream is not going to turn into a salad in your stomach, okay? And, and I'm not saying don't pray that prayer. I'm just saying don't be robotic. Jesus is encouraging us. We don't talk to our spouse in a robotic way. We don't talk to our kids in a robotic way. We talk to our kids, our spouse, the people we love in, in, in an authentic way, a real way. Which leads to my final point, and that is that prayer, pure prayers are childlike. Pure prayers are childlike. He says, when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. They think they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. Your heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask him. Kids don't need to fight for their daddy's ear. And we don't need to fight for God's ear. Blake doesn't need to perform a ritual or chant my name in order for me to hear her. All she has to say is daddy. And so childlike prayers are humble and authentic. They express dependence on God, trust in his will. They aren't arrogant. They aren't self-absorbed. They're gentle. They're true. They, they come from a place of knowing that God loves us, that God hears us, that God responds to us, that he's there with us. That he wants us. He wants a relationship with you. He wants a relationship with me. Some of you have discovered through this series that you feel far from God. Some of you have discovered through this series that you feel like you are so disconnected from the Father. So disconnected from the church. You're craving more. You're craving a passion again for the things of God. You're craving his presence. God is offering you his presence through prayer. And so I want to encourage you, South Valley, in this season, to come to God with childlike faith. Your Father loves hearing from you. He loves blessing you. 
He says this later in Matthew 7. He says, which one of you, if his sons ask him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a serpent? If, then, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Ask, seek, knock. Spend time with your Father in heaven. Pure prayers are childlike. And I want to just say this before I close. One thing that shuts our mouths in this area, one of the reasons we fail to, to pray or we struggle with prayer, as I've talked with folks and I've studied this topic, one thing that holds us back is cynicism. We become cynical about life. We become cynical about church. We start to think things like this prayer won't do anything. This problem is too big. This prayer is just a waste of time. God doesn't hear me. God doesn't care. I don't deserve his love. I don't deserve his help. My issues are too small. My issues are too big. And I just want you to know that's a lie. It's a lie from the evil one. No issue is too big. No issue is too small. No prayer that's done from a place of humility and love and childlike faith is, is unheard by your Father in heaven. God hears pure prayers. God responds to pure prayers. And for the men in the room especially, men, we struggle with cynicism in prayer. We take on all these burdens on our shoulders, all these struggles, all these things that, that happen in our family, happen with our kids, worries about work, worries about school, worries about the community, worries about, I don't know, where our nation's going, all these different things that we just worry about. And we take them on our shoulders and we, we feel like we have to carry the world on our shoulders. And God is saying, stop, I got you. Come to me with a small thing. The garbage disposal is not working, and now you got extra work to do on a Saturday. I know you're stressed. I got you. The big thing, your child's rebelling. It's all right. Come to me. I'll help you get through it. Dads, men, I encourage you, fight cynicism. Come to God with pure prayers. Make prayer a discipline in your life, especially in this season. We're heading we're into a new season as a church. Satan would love to destroy whatever work God wants to do here. And so, guys, I just want to encourage you in this time, please pray. Pray for the church. Pray for the families. Pray for the communities. Pray, for, pray pure prayers. Our, God wants to hear us. God wants to respond. And so, in conclusion, phony prayers draw attention to self. Pure prayers draw attention to God. Phony prayers are robotic. Pure prayers are childlike. I encourage you this week, pray, pray, and pray again. Will you guys join me in that? Let's pray and we'll close out the service. God, I thank you so much for loving us and providing for us. I pray for the dads in the house today, the granddads. Um, I know how much pressure it is, just the pressure that, that men feel, and I know women and moms feel this as well, but I, I really, as I was working on this sermon, I, I just felt that, that sense of cynicism where we get cynical about our prayers as if you don't care and you don't really listen and nothing will really change. I pray that you would stop that feeling right now. I pray that we would leave here knowing with the hope of God that we would leave here knowing that when we pray for our kids, you hear. And when we pray for our church, you hear. And when we pray for energy to make it through the day, you hear. And when we pray for strength and patience and kindness, Whatever it is that we're st struggling with, you actually hear, you actually care. Whether it's big or small, remind us of that today. Light our, light, it, it reignite our prayer lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Hey, God bless you guys. Have an amazing Sunday. We'll see you next week. If you need prayer, I'll be available here up front. God bless.